0: You are listening to The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio, your source of
1: off-road news and highlights. Welcome to another episode of The Last Aid Station. This is Steve Hamlin with my creative friend Mark Stover. How are you doing, Mark?
0: I'm doing very well. And yourself?
1: Fantastic, actually.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, so, so the season's here. Uh, (laughs)
1: it is upon us.
0: Um, and as usual, I am fretting over how late I am in getting in shape. Um,
1: (laughs) it's, uh, it's, uh, something that I go through every year. (laughs) That's never, that's never going to end, Mark.
0: I know. I know. Like, and I, and I go to the first race of the year, which for me is traditionally six hours of warrior Creek or maybe Kohata, something in April ish, just to remind myself how out of shape I am. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it, 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 gets, it, it gives me motivation. It does. Usually may. I have like amazing training because I come back embarrassed and then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> try to make up for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. For our listeners, uh, spring's here. Hopefully you're getting a chance to get in some riding. seems like, uh, almost everywhere. There's been some amazing weather lately and everyone's yeah, it's- getting a chance to finally get out at least, um, outside now whether you're on your trails or not uh due to the trail conditions and stuff is
1: yeah i've been getting those reminders all all winter here about how uh not in good enough shape i am with all the fat bike races
0: yeah you've been doing uh quite a few um and we'll probably talk we're definitely talking about uh one of them um that you did here recently yeah this fat bike season is actually it's weird because we we kind of just slowly started talking about them, and already we're starting to wind up the fat bike season. Um, it's now March. Really, nothing yeah. else. I mean, the big ones are are just behind us, or barely just in front of us with uh, the fat bike burpees Burkey this
1: weekend. This weekend,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, so, re- really looking forward to getting the true season of endurance mountain bike and gravel racing underway. But certainly, that is not the slight fat bike season which is winding up um and ha- has had so far a pretty good season. Um as far as fat bike racing, who have you who have you seen as someone who is definitely gonna that is doing really well at fat bike season that may make that into more of a endurance mountain bike season? Because sometimes there's a lot of people that are either going toward bikepacking you know, out of that fat bike season or maybe even going into uh, maybe endurance mountain biking. Um, do you see anybody really standing out for you from the results and things like that?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, the two first names that come to my mind is Jeff Hall from, you know, my neck of the woods in Minnesota and then Jordan Wakely over there in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, Jordan Waker's so, always there. Just um, dominating.
0: Yeah, usually has a run going through all the way through April, May of, you know, 10, 12 wins straight or something like that at all distances usually on the fat bike. Um I also saw recently that Jordan has actually um traveled to Arizona, I believe, to begin uh training camp and who knows, maybe picking up some endurance racing down there. But I think it's always kind of cool to see those guys Transition and to see, you know, if they've really been pushing the pace like like Jordan does every year, really f- racing a lot of the fat bike races over the year. to See how they transition into the rest of the season with, and you know, how long they can go. You know, with the season still, what ten months? Uh, yeah, still in front of us. So always kind of interesting to see how that's going to
1: go. Uh, Matt Ackers, the other one too, from over there in Michigan. Yes. He's, yep. he's actually winning the series right now.
0: Yep, I've seen a lot. I've seen his results in many different places um, as far as the fat bike racing goes. So everybody, welcome to the Last Aid Station. Um, We, If you've never listened to us before, uh, we kind of cover all of the endurance off-road racing and kind of cover everything from marathon racing on the mountain bike into gravel racing into bike pack racing and all the distances, pretty much anywhere from three hours to what's the tour divide? I don't know. Three weeks, two weeks, so uh, i kind of not to cover it all. Yeah, long. <laughs> really, really, really long. long. We cover a big variety of races. But thank you for uh, joining us if you're listening for the first time. And if you're listening um, as a repeat listener, thank you very much for coming back. And we hope you enjoy what you hear. Along that line, if you are a listener and you have some requests for us or suggestions for us, please get in touch with myself um, or Steve at mountainbikeradio.com. So Mark at mountainbikeradio.com or steve at mountainbikeradio.com. Send us an email. We're more than happy to take your suggestions, talk to you about things. And definitely we take the listeners' suggestions and try to incorporate them into the show because we're trying to create a show that is listenable for you guys and is bringing the information that you want to you, um, whether that's a race or a racer you want us to interview or a promoter you want us to get in touch with or uh, product you may see that may make an impact on endurance mountain bike racing, let us know. And we'll try to um, incorporate that into the show. Um, a lot of other things are going on that we really want to bring up right now up front right here. Um, so mountain bike radio is slowly starting to try to get back up in front of all of the cool stuff that we present to our listeners as a service One of the big things is the calendars, the race calendars. On mountainbikeradio.com, there are two calendars. One is a fat bike racing calendar, and one is an endurance mountain bike racing calendar. We're trying to make those as the resource out there on the Internet, um, especially for North American races, for your one stop to see where the races are, what the races are about, links to the races, and things like that. So if you go there, if you're looking for a race for a certain weekend, or if you're traveling to a different part of the country, or you're looking for a race to target, or at this point you're probably trying to set up your season, it's a great resource to go to to really figure out where those races are, what they're all about, how you register, what the costs are, all those things. And there's links to all those different races there. Um, and it's a great, great resource. We're not asking yeah. for anything for it. We don't ask promoters for any money to put their race on there at all. I mean, it's, if we meant mean it completely as a free resource to the endurance mountain bike racing community. And
1: it's the best one out there. there By far, there's no doubt. Any place else I've ever tried to search for events in the past, it's never, you know, inclusive to mountain bike only. Right. So you bring up all kinds of, you know, running events or road events, stuff that, so if you're interested in just mountain bike endurance events, this is the place to go. It's already started out for you.
0: Yeah. And if there, if there's anything on there that you find is be incorrect, or there's a race perhaps that you see that's not listed, or if you're a promoter and you want, you have a new event, you want your race listed. You can go on there to the submission. There's a submission, uh little uh, form there at the bottom. Just put in a little bit of very little bit of information, including your link and um, the name of your event and where it is. And we'll, double-check all that information, and then put it right up on the website. It's that easy. So um, if you see something that's, that's wrong, perhaps a date has changed or a distance has changed or the name of the event has changed, you can go on there, um, use the submission form, and we'll update the calendar as quickly as we can. Continuing with what Mountain Bike Radio has been doing, if you listen to Mountain Bike Radio perhaps you don't know there's an app there's an iphone or um an android app out there it is the easiest way to listen to mountain bike radio unless you're listening on your computer at work which is a big plus and thank you for doing that but um if you're listening in your car or listening at home or maybe you're listening on a ride or something like that um The iPhone or the Android app, the smartphone apps out there are great ways to listen to it because you can search for whatever specific show you want or maybe even a specific topic, find it, and listen to it that way. Um, Great way to do it. You can actually download them onto there so you don't have to necessarily have cell phone coverage if you're Maybe riding in a remote part or of your area, um, what have you. But the app is out there. It's something that Mountain Bike Radio provides for free. It's a free download on the, in whatever app store you use. And it's a excellent app. It's really, really, really user friendly. For the longest time, I'll admit, I didn't use it until I put it on my phone. And now that's the, really the only way I listen to um, the Mountain Bike Radio shows is through that app. It's uh, very easy to use. Ben has recently kind of started to trying to get some extra benefits for our users and things like that and has actually started to try to, to negate his costs on mountain bike radio. Now, Ben has been running mountain bike radio now uh, f- almost four years. And myself and Steve are going to go together, buy him a cake, um, and send it to him up there in the Dakotas and we hope it makes it to him, but it will be four years in may four years that he has been running mountain bike radio and he has provided just amazing amounts of content, uh, amazing uh, shows out there, uh, whether they're produced by him or produced by others. And, put under mountainbikeradio.com, but please continue to support what he's doing. One of the ways you can support that is through Amazon. Ben has actually formed a partnership with Amazon, and so the easiest way, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, go to mountainbikeradio.com, click the link, it says, you know, Amazon Shopping or something like that. And what that does is it actually provides him with a little bit of financial return like three or four percent i think over your total purchase depends on what you buy but it allow it doesn't cost you anything extra Uh, but amazon actually kicks back a little bit of money to mountain bike radio for using that link and it helps support ben in continuing mountain bike radio servers app maintenance what have you Um, but it's an easy way to support mountain bike radio without actually sending us money directly if you're going to buy stuff on amazon.com why not do it that way? It's an easy way to do it. it doesn't cost you anything, um, and Amazon kicks us the money directly, which is really cool. Um, and if you're looking to spend a little bit more money, um, and you want to give a, uh, mountainbikeradio.com because you like the resource that it provides, you can become a membership, and it's a very easy way to do it. Um, there are several different levels. Um, whether it's a basic member, which is a dollar per month. A pillar member, which is $10 a month, or a sustaining member, which is $30 a month, or there's like different ways to do bulk things. And there's, if you go to mountainbikeradio.com and you look at the membership page, there's a way to, you can look under membership and you see all the different ways that you can continue to support mountainbikeradio.com. The dollar per month is a basic member. It just, if you think you're getting something out of this and you want to give a dollar per month, you can sign up there. Easy way to do it. it gives us a little bit of money to, for the maintenance of everything that's out there. Or if you want the pillar or sustaining members, you get some, I don't know, some extra advantages, perhaps. Um, so you get some partner discounts from some of um, our partner vendors out there, like whether it's Fixit Sticks or maybe get a Mountain Bike Radio pint glass or a T-shirt or whatever. You get discounts on Mountain Bike Radio gear. And as we partner with different... Uh, companies out there that provide us with stuff. Um, and all of that stuff is vetted. It's stuff that we know works. It's stuff that we know. It's no, we're not just picking up anybody and their brother, but it gets a chance to, to give you back something for providing us with, um, the financial abilities to keep mountainbikeradio.com. I don't talk about mountainbikeradio.com much from the financial side of things, but I think Ben is doing a very good thing here. And any mo- amount of money that we can give back to him to continue to support our show and all the other great shows on Mountain Bike Radio um, is a big, big plus in my book. So, off my soapbox.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's good stuff, though.
0: It is. It is. And I, I just, I just want to get it out there because uh, Ben has given me a voice to con- to do what I do here, which I love doing, which is talking about endurance off road racing. But it's also giving everybody a voice, and we love what we do. None of us do this for the money. Nobody is living off of this. Um, but I'm sure Ben would like the ability to not have to worry about whether he's going to be paying for the server and things like that out of his pocket and actually having something that's going to be sustainable long into the future. And so please support mountainbikeradio.com any way you can, numerous ways, as I mentioned. and
1: I, I think we're helping build you know, enthusiasm around the sport too. Absolutely. You know, it's absolutely. It's drawing attention to different riders and, and uh, you know, their sponsors get attention here and, and all that. So,
0: yeah. And you know, everything that, that Ben does, Ben doesn't buy advertising to push mountainbikeradio.com. And another way you can support us is just by going out there and telling your friends, if you like what you hear or you like a, a specific show, tell your friends about it. Tell your, the guys you ride with about it. Tell people at the races you go to about it. Um let, Get the word out because the best way to get something to, that's sustainable is like a grassroots effort kind of like that, you know, kind of it's just passed on word of mouth and it continues to kind of grow and steamroll into something bigger. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with mountainbikeradio.com. We're not looking to advertise this so we get, you know click links and and um, number of hits on a website. We're just trying to make this something that is a resource, but something that has some value to it, and we hope we're doing that. Um, under other related news, um, kind of Mountain Bike Radio related, and just a way to get you guys more involved with other people who listen, other listeners, other people who like radio.com, is radio.com actually has a Strava group and it hasn't been used that much i mean there's people that have joined it but now that we're into the spring here we are again go over to strava if you use strava join the mountain bike radio dot com group uh, it's uh mountain bike radio if you do a search and every once in a while ben will throw in some awards whether it's a pint glass or something like that for certain things whether it's most mileage in a week or um, most elevation climbed in a month or what have you. Sometimes there's cool little benefits, but it's also kind of like a, got a little bit of a community feel because you've got a bunch of other people that are doing very similar things, all doing a lot of their rides off, you know, off road. So it's, it's just a kind of a cool thing to be part of. If you want to join that anyhow, it's the mountain bike radio group
1: on Strava. Easy to find. Oh. Yeah. There's like, there's like 270 some members in it right now. Yeah. And it's, so, it's kind of cool. And it's, and it, there's quite a few people that have joined it.
0: Yes, and and a lot of the people that you hear us talk about here on um, the last aid station. You're curious, you know. I wonder how much, how many miles those people ride. Or um, I know, for example, Carla Williams is a member of the group. You want to see how many miles she rides in a week to become. You know, to win certain races, like whether it's uh, Shenandoah or whether it's Fool's Gold. She's on there. You can see what she's doing. You can see her rides. You can see what kind of training she does. It's all on there. And you'll actually see quite a number of people that are part of that mountain bike radio group, people that are training for certain events. Maybe you find people that are in your area training for very similar events. Kind of cool. Um, Just something out there. Um, If you're interested, i'm a member check it out uh uh, yeah is uh steve's a member join yeah i'm on there yeah join it um it's it's just a cool little fun little thing we have out there um speaking of racing uh the mohican 100 is coming up and both steve and i are registered boom um so boom uh tentative plans uh are coming together Um, for some type of mountain bike radio get together there. Um, it will probably be after the race. Um, only because I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll have something easy going on Friday night before the race, but a more ruckus frolic on Saturday <laughs> night, so to say. Um, at the soiree that Ryan Odell and his people always throw there in the campground. And, and you'll see, Steve, you notice the show notes there. I, I wrote soiree like four different ways because I, yeah. I wasn't <laughs> sure uh, which was the correct way to spell that. That's um, the
1: thing about a podcast, you know? Yeah, you, right. We're I have to say spell.
0: soiree and yeah. building knows what I'm talking about. But anyhow, it's probably the first and last time you'll ever hear the word soiree used here. Um, but we're going to trademark that and say that the last aid station soiree will be happening at the Mohican 100 this year. We're working out the details, figuring out what it is, and we'll have a get-together there, definitely. And maybe even have a contest, uh, the difference between Steve and my time, oh, uh, boy. which will probably be that order, Steve, then me. Yeah, I don't um, know. <laughs> um, maybe the closest person gets a Mountain Bike Radio t-shirt or what have you. Um, but anyhow, that's that's where we're at. So let's break straight into the news Um what most people are listening to, not listening to our jibber-jabber. What do you got, Mark? Um, so lots of team news going on right now. Um, there's been a big roster announcement for rare disease cycling. Of course, rare disease cycling is a big elite team that kind of has dominated the endurance mountain bike racing and especially the NUE over the past several years. Um, returning this year, um, Roger Massey, Nikki Theman, Kathleen Harding are returning with a few new members, including Francis Cuddy, Ryan Serbel, Megan Correll, uh, John Arias, and Jake Wade. Many of those guys have actually come over from the Toasted Head Racing side. Um, And this year, they'll be bringing the Toasted Head Racing folks are bringing over to the rare disease cycling team, many of their sponsors, including Cannondale and Schwalbe and Keswick Cycle, Segoy Clothing, Scratch Labs. Um, So, Big team announcement there. It'll be interesting to see how that team gels. Um, It's kind of a combination of the rare disease cycling team and the toasted head racing team into like a very tight group. And hopefully we'll see those guys rising to the top again as rare disease cycling has done in the past. And speaking of toasted head racing is a roster announcement for a brand new team formed out of, that Toasted Head Racing team folding last year. The Race for Rescues was formed by three former Toasted Head Racing team members, which is um, Melissa Nash-Mertz, who won the 2014 Wilderness 101, Mike Multimano, who's who's numerous times been on the NUE podium, as well as Gordon Wadsworth, very honest in the single-speed races, and often does very well at the national USAC marathon distance in the single speed category. Um, he's always in the hunt to win the single speed and it'll be kind of cool to see where he goes. Uh, joining them will be Jocelyn Linscott, 2015-24 hours in the old Pueblo, single speed women, women's winner and always someone to watch out in regional 100 milers and marathon distance races. Um, the team was started with a mission to promote adoption of shelter and rescue pets and to support local rescues and shelters. Rescue for Racing is sponsored by Shimano, Country Flow Yoga, Sublime Athletics, Uptown Dentistry, and Cycle Matrix Coaching. Um, As I said, most of these these folks are going to be racing in the NUE events, especially on the East Coast, the Transylvania Epic, the Pisgah Stage Race, and much of the Mid-Atlantic Super Series, which takes place kind of uh, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania area. Um, In industry news, Vista Outdoors uh, has acquires Bell, Giro, and Supreme and Blackburn. It seems it's a season for mergers and acquisitions. And uh, Vista Outdoors, which currently already owns Camelback and Bolace uh, Eyewear, has entered an agreement to acquire those companies—Bell, Giro, Supreme, and Blackburn—from Brg Sports, which is operated by the Bell Sports Corporation. Scotch Valley shopping spree, they did go on a shopping spree, and it cost them about 400 million dollars from what I understand uh, for those brands. And speaking of acquisitions, Amer Sports, which is the parent company of Mavic and Sunto in the bike space, but also Atomic Ski's and Solomon and Wilson Sports Equipment, has purchased Envy Composites, which is the maker, obviously, of amazing carbon wheels and components. And it was a bit of a surprise, but um, here's hoping the Envy's trend of wider rim widths and lighter wheel sets rub off on Mavic, and <laughs> not the other way around. Because, <laughs> uh, well, let's just say Mavic's a little dated. Um, Wolf Tooth Components. I can't say enough about this company. Uh, Wolf Tooth Components has introduced another genius genius thing called the TanPan.
1: They always got Pan. something new.
0: They do. And they always have a way – they kind of fix things that other companies have broken. Um, so it's a very cool thing. It's called the TanPan. I'm impressed with the – they're kind of like a think tank, prodigies, if you will. Um, and so what it allows – this isn't something that necessarily – it's something that already exists in the, in the SRAM space, but didn't allow things to happen in the Shimano space. So if you had Shimano road shifters and you wanted to pair it with Shimano mountain bike trailers, and you're thinking, okay, Mark, why would I do that? Well, in the case that uh, cyclocross, gravel racing, things like that, you yeah. wanted to run by a 1x11, you couldn't do it. The cable pull ratio is completely different. It will not work, or at least won't work well, not a big deal for pure mountain bike racers, but a much bigger deal for cyclocross and gravel racing who may be looking at one by systems or much bigger gear spreads on their rear derailleurs or cassettes. So all it does is it just translates that. It's a little thing, probably about the size of a quarter. Um, it puts the cable in one side, pulls the cable out the other. It translates that cable pull ratios, um so that it works well and those ratios are exact, and it makes the shifting a thousand times better. So you can use your Shimano road shifters, whatever they may be, with the mountain bike derailleurs, um, something that Shimano didn't have, but now there's a way to do it. And this especially works well on clutched rear derailers, so your one-by systems. And with that being said, Shimano itself is officially releasing an 1146 cassette.
1: And that that's is like absolutely it's like, ginormous. It's like putting a you know, that's that's just, pushing the size of a road crank. Gear, that's what I'm wondering. Know?
0: I'm wondering if they didn't have some extra cyclocross <laughs> chain rings and just oh, what can we use these for? But 1146 is absolutely huge. Now, I have some concerns with that maybe from a shifting issue type of thing, and the tooth gaps, they're going to be created. Not only that, but I I can't imagine that many the derailleur compatibility for something that's going to go across a 35-tooth gap, I don't know, but um, where you're we're, we're doing 1146, uh, certainly going to look strange on a bike, but where even aftermarket stuff had had a max of 4244 maybe in some capacity in the past. Shimano's actually releasing an 1146 cassette. Um be kind of interesting to see how that all works out. Um and certainly be great. I and mean, it certainly is that's purely developed for those out there using the one by systems. Yeah. Um, in race news, let's move on to some races. ITI or the IditaRod Trail Invitational is just underway. Now in the past this race has been called everything from the IDITA bike to the idea sport to a bunch of other things. Uh, but in uh, different owners over the years and what the routes were and what the di- distances were. But it's just underway with racers having started at 2 p.m. on the last Sunday in February. Fairly large group of riders competing in the 350-mile distance where Jay and Tracy Peterberry racing and a little bit smaller group who were pulling on the full Monty, so to speak, of the full Iditarod Trail. It's ridiculous. 1,000 miles. Um, of course, that is always a... Uh, kind of a competition between the bikes and the, uh, s- the sled dogs. Um, and the bikes pretty much almost every year are always way faster. And so, um, with the Iditarod, the true Iditarod sled dog race actually starting about 10 days behind them, it'll be kind of interesting to see who, who does, uh, well this year. Trail conditions have been noted as being super, low on the snowpack. They've not had a ton of snow up there. They've also had some melting conditions, some freezing conditions, um, which means muddy conditions, um, tenuous river, river crossings, which in the past are, are usually 100% frozen, and they've already got some snow melt, spring snow melt for the year. So I don't think the conditions are all that great, even though you would think with less snow, it might be faster. I think with the less snow, they've actually got a lot of muddy and soupy conditions up there.
1: Especially if it warms up, he's you now. I'll talk about that when we get to the, the yeah. polar roll stuff. Yeah. But it's yeah. yeah. It sounds like that type of winter is going around for everybody.
0: Yep, yeah. and so even in Alaska, they you know they have the the snow melt and the refreeze overnight, and the snow melt and the refreeze, and it certainly doesn't do great things for necessarily speedy trail conditions. The race that we're going to actually have a dedicated show for here in the very near future, probably in the next two weeks or so, um, the Absa Cape Epic has announced that its prologue will be moving from its scheduled planned venue, which is always done in the past at the University of Cape Town, to the Mirandol Wine Estate, which is one of its primary sponsors in Durbanville. Uh, the decision follows consultation between race management and the police, as well as the federal government, over recent violent protests at the university and the potential for further instability there. The prologue takes place on March 13th and was scheduled to start and finish um, at the campus, but we'll now do a loop course, starting and finishing at the winery complex. So, little change in venue there. Um, usually, that prologue really doesn't make that much of a difference, other than to show who's really um, on form and who's got some speed in their legs. Uh, but usually, doesn't make a big impact on the eventual outcome of the race.
1: How many uh, it, stages are there? It's, a, it's, a stage
0: um, so okay. it's it's a week long stage race, so it's 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 the full thing. It's it's definitely by far the biggest stage race in the world. There's no doubt. Of course, it's competed in that that duo format, and something that even though uh, the United States and Australia and New Zealand that area have n- not really grasped yet, um, I'm seeing more and more races outside the United States, like even in Australia, and New Zealand, where they've kind of been our compatriots and still continuing that solo stage race format. Yeah. Kind of starting to move toward a duo format. Eh, I don't know. I think that it, it produces something very different. And it's one of the things that I want to, um, I'm hoping to get in touch with Jeremiah Bishop, maybe have him on again this year to talk about, you know, now that he's kind of fully involved in the topic Urgon team, racing most of his races uh, overseas and in that duo format to really get his take on the duo format. If it's something he sees progressing or is something he just kind of is slowly getting used to but it'd be kind of interesting to take his, get his take cuz he's certainly done super well in the United States in that solo stage race format and now he's racing the majority of his races overseas in the duo format so
1: it'd be interesting to hear hear this per se- perspective yeah.
0: yeah uh anything going on in your neck of the woods as far as news
1: or the uh Margie Gesick registration opened up again it's it's uh like sold out back in like October, I think or it sold early out almost, November.
0: Yeah, it sold out almost instantly, did
1: it not? Yeah, in like a yeah. few days or a yeah. week and then yeah. they opened it back up the 1st of the year and closed it back up again and then they just opened it back up again and they raised the cap to 750 racers. And there's already like 360 some registered for the the 100 Miler. Wow. It's it's going to be a huge race. It's going to be great. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm even more. And you're registered there. for that race, correct? Yes, I'll yeah. be there.
0: All yeah. Right. Um, and uh, the NUE is kicking off its series.
1: Yeah, um, true grit. True
0: grit. Just yes. Seems like, uh, as you had mentioned, it seems like this season just the last season just ended with the NUE. We're yeah. already here. We're back into the mix, getting ready to find out who's out there. And big, big names are actually on the start list. Um, Josh Testado, Kurt Wilhelm, Marley Dixon, um, Mike Multimano, Tinker Juarez, Liz Carrington, Jeff Kirkhoff, Gordon Wadsworth, The Simrels, Taylor Ledeen, uh, Brian Schwarm will be making the trip, Carrie Smith, Roger Massey, a huge number of Ticos from the Costa Rican region who have p- t- participated in the first NUE races that are down in Costa Rica last year um, with the Rincon Challenge will be making it. And supposedly there is a small group that will be making a push for the overall. And so they're, they're going to be making their start early in the year, um, maybe hoping to get a little chance at some out of shape American riders or those who may be traveling from colder climates. And those guys have been able to change course, train all winter long um, in Costa Rica. They'll be making a push to see how they can do lining up against the top Americans at the first race of the year. And on top of that, dark horse um, registered for the event in the form of Steve Hamlin. <laughs> now this guy's an unknown,
1: uh, really not he's sure how a, he's going to do unknown. <laughs> um,
0: uh, he's been, he's been racing all winter long in the fat bike division and, uh, a lot of fat bike racing.
1: And so we'll use the term racing loosely. Yeah, so, it's like, it's like so, saying I've, I'm a golfer so, because yeah, I golfed before.
0: Yeah. So Steve will be, uh, he <laughs> will be traveling down there to cover that stuff in person and at least give us, uh, uh, his view on the race and maybe get some interviews and things like that and talk to the, the players, so to speak. Um, uh,
1: but I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's going to be a fun adventure. So,
0: yeah. So you're actually in for quite time. an, quite an adventure here in the next couple of weeks. You're so, yeah. In the next um, 24, 48 hours, you're going to be racing
1: fat bike, berkey, fat bike and, berkey and, and,
0: and immediately getting in your car yep, and driving family up. two to three
1: days to going to uh, go to the grand Canyon for a few days. Hit the uh, the True Grit race, right, and then end up right end up in
0: Saint George, Utah, um, yep. to race True Grit, the first NUE race, um, and see how it all happens. Um, certainly not Steve's first hundred miler, but his first NUE race, and maybe you'll get a chance to uh, take some tips from the top guys out there um, and seeing how his year is going to start uh, <laughs> in endurance mountain bike racing. Um, <laughs> one other. Uh, result to talk about um the, so the tour of andalusia actually happened just uh just finishing about a week ago or so ago um tour of andalusia of course is one of the uh, biggest uh pre uh cape epic mountain bike stage races and typically you see the t- same teams that are going to race the cape epic racing this race which occurs just about 3 to 4 weeks prior to the cape epic and they kind of test their legs it's slightly shorter it's only uh 6 days versus 7 or 8 um but the big, th- uh, news out of this race was it was run by team ProTech. Um, Pericles, uh, Ilias and Tiago Ferreira, uh, produced a huge upset of team Topic Ergon and included, uh, that in that duo team, the current world champion, Alvin Lakata and Christian Hynek. They also had the support of a second team. Uh, team, Topic team in the form of Jeremiah Bishop and Eric Kleinhaus, who finished eighth overall in a support role. Um, so for the most of the time, these top teams, it's kind of almost, um, you kind of figure out who's going to win the tour of Andalusia by looking to see who's registered. It's usually going to be your favorites for the different events, but this unknown team, Team Protect, just kind of came out of nowhere. They won by staying consistent. Um, remaining in striking distance going into the last day, just 40 seconds down, and then put one hell of a run on the last stage to finish three minutes up in a solo win and win the GC by a little over two and a half minutes. It's a huge upset over much more polished teams like Centuria Vod, um, Topic Ergon, NMR Racing, Team Factory Scott Racing. On the women's side, however, uh the collaboration team of Sally Bingham of Topi Ergon and uh Katrine uh, Neumann of or Leuman of Goldwurst Power Swiss national team destroyed all comers and literally their winning margin there uh, was measured in hours and not minutes. But the endurance mountain bike stage racing is already well on its way and a lot of teams are gonna it's gonna be kind of interesting to see what happens at the Cape Epic, because a lot of the um, the top teams, like Topic Ergon, Centurion of Odd just got upset big, big at uh, Tour of Andalusia. Um, and certainly, Team Protech is not going to be under an an entity going into that race now in, uh, what, two weeks or so. And we'll be covering that as a dedicated show here on The Last Day Station for the Cape Epic. Anything going on out in your way? You guys, you guys are starting to slowly wrap up. Um, yeah, like in your neck of the woods, the Fat Bike Series,
1: Great Lakes Fat Bike Series, wraps up this weekend with the Fat Bike Berkey, and it yeah. it actually reached its thousand rider cap, so thousand fat bikers. That's that's between two races. There's a short race and a long race. Okay,
0: and what's what, long what races?
1: Yeah, Uh long race is pushing fifty k, so a little over thirty miles, I guess. So I think it's I think it's like forty seven k, so maybe right around thirty. Okay, and the short race I think is about half that.
0: Um so the Fat Bike Berkey, I mean that's everybody talks about the national championships the USAC has now um as being the national championships. I I've always Fat Bike Berkey was the first big race I'd ever heard of as far as Fat Bike goes. And I would argue that um it's a bit pre- more prestigious uh, winning the Fat Bike Berkey than many other races that are out there. Um and certainly It's a pretty big deal. It's a it's pretty yeah, big, it's deal. A big deal. It's a definitely a big deal. So anyhow, um let's move on to what people are here for. So we've talked about a lot of the news and stuff like that, but now let's talk about some of the racing that's going on across the country. Now, we're kind of in that shoulder season, end of the fat bike season, beginning of endurance uh, off-road season, and kind of have a mix today. And we're going to cover everything from the Frozen Fat 40 to Monster Cross to 24-hour Worlds to 24 hours in the Old Pueblo. So kind of a mix of everything from gravel to 24-hour racing to fat bike racing. So looking forward to hearing how Steve talks about the Frozen Fat 40s. Tell me all about it, Steve.
1: Yeah, Frozen 40 Fat Bike Race, part of the whole uh, Frozen Events weekend. There were some running races there, too. This is actually, I think it's probably the longest race of the, uh, I think it is anyways, the Great Lakes Fat Bike Series. But it's, uh, it's all single track, too, which is a little different. A lot of the fat bike races have ski trailers, snowmobile trail in them. So this is a four laps around an eleven mile single track course with a couple mile prologue rollout. I think final mileage is around forty seven miles, and uh, it was like minus nine at the start line. I like that, Mark. Nice. <laughs> the uh, I'll I'll start talking about the the men's race. Yeah. The a, a lead group of about seven or eight went into the first lap of single track after the prologue with Jay Henderson uh, finding himself in a solo lead out front for about a mile after putting in a hard effort. But Jeff Hall and Dave Christensen would eventually chase back up to Henderson. Jeff Hall eventually pulled away, but not out of Henderson and Christensen's sight and would finish the first lap with a little over a minute lead. Christensen grabbed a quick feed but rejoined Henderson on the single track. Jeff Hall continued to stay on pace, increased his gap to more than two minutes at the halfway point of the race, with Dave Christensen and Jeff Henderson coming through wheel-to-wheel. Henderson put in a large effort on lap three, pulling away from Christensen. Uh, Jay Henderson reported that he would end up crashing and get caught by Dave Christensen in the prairie sections about halfway through the lap. Uh, Jeff Hall was still heavy on the gas, finding himself with a three-minute lead over Christensen, who was now 30 seconds out in front of Henderson. A little personal side of the story, I got to see how the, how the leaders come through as Ike was lapped by jeff hall no kidding (laughs) yeah so jeff hall jeff hall actually laughed me on his last lap i was i was on my third and he came by me like i was standing still as he was out of the saddle just hammering on the pedals i pulled off the side of the trail as he yelled coming up behind me otherwise i would have had tread barks up my backside probably (laughs) (laughs) and uh just a few miles later just before the uh finish of my third lap dave christensen would come by me in the same manner as Jeff Hall did. Uh, these guys were not out for a joyride that day. And Jay Henderson would report after crashing the fourth lap, Fourth lap uh, was all about survival as he knew there was some pretty heavy talent in Chase. But Jeff Hall of Lemire Cycles took the win in three hours and 43 minutes. Dave Christensen of Penn Cycle came in second at three hours and 46 minutes. And Jay Henderson of Hollywood Cycles finished third in three hours and 48 minutes.
0: It's so a pretty close racing for almost a four-hour race.
1: Yeah, and those are just some fast times because even in the uh, in the summer, a sub sub one-hour lap around there is is you know moving, but but uh, uh, for these guys to do that in the winter time, those types of lap speeds is is they're they're hauling it's because it was it was icy too.
0: Now, having uh, having gotten a chance to participate on something where there's actual like. Fat bike, single track, do do you definitely prefer that over like more of an open course or,
1: uh, you know, I don't know. It, it it's, uh, I, I like, I like the mix of it. So I ride Elm Creek, you know, every once in a while anyway. So I'm, I'm, I'm familiar somewhat with the course myself. Um, it's, it, that race was kind of like a little bit of an endurance race, actually. Yeah. And that's the first, that's the first time I ever rode four laps at Elm Creek, actually.
0: Okay. I mean that's that's a, that's a lot of racing. That's a long ride. Yeah. It was you know, almost 50 miles. Yeah,
1: 4 hours is I mean that's It was it was icy that day. That's why I'm, I'm amazed at how fast those guys were able to go and I don't, you know, might have been running studded tires or something but I I went down. I crashed a couple of times and uh um it hurt when you crash on ice. Yeah. <laughs> it was
0: Yeah. I, now how did you said you raced studded tires?
1: I did not race. Some did not stuff. Tires. What do you think? Worth it? Yes. Not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. Not yeah, cheap. I'm going to get I think I'm going to get some studded tires for next year.
0: I mean, for most of us, it's like the cost of a wheel set, not tires. But
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you're going stud, to oh, studded
0: fat a stud tires. Or, stud, so. yeah, what, what's the average cost of a studded a set of studded fat,
1: fat bike tires? Well, I think if you buy let's also sells some uh, like four inch you know, pre-studded ones, and I think they're like one hundred and sixty-something bucks a pop. Yeah, the cheaper, maybe uh, so two hundred. That's uh, that's for the skinnies. Yeah, well, well, four-inch tires versus like the five-inch tires over two hundred. Yeah, yeah. If you are going to stud your own, you are, you know, you are going to buy a hundred-dollar plus tire and then a buck a stud. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I <laughs> if if it doesn't make me faster, Mark, it makes it safer for me. Because man, I, I. I was a little bruised up. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, good, good stuff. I mean, those guys were, I, I was amazed at how fast Jeff came by. Jeff Hall, when he came, came by. I mean, he was, he was on the gas. Yeah. Other divisions? Yeah. The, so the women's race, April Morgan was on the gas right from the start after the prologue. And I have word that she actually entered the single track with that lead pack of seven or eight guys. April Morgan finished the first lap with a four minute lead over Pam Nielsen. Uh, with Chelsea Strait another three minutes behind Pam. Uh, April Morgan continued to push the pace, and she increased her lead With uh, while Chelsea Strait would eventually pull herself back to Pam Nielsen on lap three. So April Morgan uh, of 45 north crossed the finish line in first place at four hours and 14 minutes. Chelsea Strait of 45 north finishing second in four hours and 35 minutes, and Pam Nielsen of LCR just over a minute behind Chelsea in third place at four hours and 36 minutes.
0: Pretty impressive time for the women considering they're what eh, 20 minutes back. That's 25 minutes back. That's really not that significant.
1: Yeah. And well, all of them, I, I believe have been doing quite a bit of racing through the series. And then, you know, we talked about Pam on a previous episode. She, she won the Tuscopia 80 for the women.
0: It's kind of cool to see um, a race like kind of in this, like a little bit on the shorter end here, um, seeing some of the people, um, racing from the, you know, almost the bike pack distance races, um, coming down and mixing with the, the people that are more traditional distances. And, you know, I always love seeing how that works out.
1: The, The fat bike racing is a, is a big mix of like XC racers and like bike packers. And it's, it's a pretty interesting, pretty interesting season. And I, I, myself personally has kind of like explored it all this winter and I, I'm pretty excited to do it again next winter. I I'm looking forward to it. It was just a, it was a, a, a whole mix of, I'm not a, I'm not a, I am not ai am not aii do not necessarily tend to like the, the short XC weekend races in the summer, right. but I really, really enjoyed doing the same type of events like racing Elm Creek and then the polar roll and, and coyune on a fat bike in the winter because it just it was a it was a total change up, you know. It, it made a, made it the short race a little bit more of an adventure.
0: Cool. Very cool. Um thanks for the update up there at the uh, frozen fat forty. And of course, we we can't not talk about the frozen fat forty without mentioning the amazing promotion and production uh presented by Ben Wellnack. Heck yeah. So yeah, Ben Wellneck, cool. our yeah. own Bell and from Mountain Bike Radio is the race director and promoter for that event. Um, and from what I've read online and doing some research and probably what Steve has experienced up there,
1: put on it's a good like event. One hell of an event. Yeah. And not that's only from event. the Fat
0: Bike series, but also some uh, running events that same day and even uh, the next day um, for a whole weekend of racing. So, uh, congrats to Ben for putting on. Uh, a great event, having taken it over this year. Best of luck in the future um, for him continuing that series. Richmond, Virginia Monster Cross. You know, for many in the Mid-Atlantic area and kind of even the East Coast, for many, this is the annual opener of the season, especially in this area. And for those really looking to test their off-road endurance, to test fitness and form. It comes super early in the season. It's often cold and usually has with it some unpredictable weather. This race is a run what you brung kind of race in the pro elite category with the race in the past having been won by both cyclocross racers as well as those on mountain bikes. Additional categories for the non elites had separate divisions for both cyclocross and mountain bikes. Looking across the start list, Top national caliber racers, including current NUE Series champion, Keck Baker. Top uh, short track and XC racer, Cole Oberman of Ride Biker Alliance. Jared Needers, a top regional racer and certainly no slouch on cyclocross or mountain bikes. David Flatten, a national level XC racer and the protege of Jeremiah Bishop. NUE fast riser, John Petrolak. Top NUE racers, Michael Danish and Simona Vincenzova. Current Masters NUE champion Roger Massey, Nicole Dorenzi, as well as a large gaggle of strong Virginia racers who are always strong this time of the season and they were all looking to stretch their legs in an unseasonably warm February weekend. The race takes place just south of Richmond, Virginia on rolling hills, dirt roads, double track, and a little bit of gravel, and raced entirely inside the Pocahontas State Park. On a two lap, by 25-mile route. Continuous elevation changes, none more than 150 to 200 feet or so, with no single section of the course flat enough or long enough without change to allow racers to get into any kind of rhythm. Much of the course was on packed sandy soil, but there was also some plenty of packed dirt for those who were a little bit more wary on that sandy surface. In the men's race, with little elevation and plenty of teams with several fast riders among them, tactics were certainly going to play a part and were expected to be a factor by many of those lining up in the pro-elite category. Lots of surging and attacks on the winding course left many legs unsteady as the first real efforts of the season shocked them into remembering what racing really feels like. As the surgeons continued in the opening miles at the front and the attrition began behind, the leashes became longer and longer due to the relentless attacks and speed changes. Early racing quickly made racers choose their battles for these early season efforts, and before long, a rider in the form of U.S. military rider David Flatton had been given the gift off the front near mile 10 that no one chased down, but that had increased the tempo just enough to have whittled the chasing group down to just about 20 riders, and then down to just about a dozen or so, containing Jared Needers of Haymarket Bicycles, Cole Oberman of Ride Biker Alliance, Keck Baker of Blue Ridge Cyclery, as well as another group of 8 to 10 riders. The group of 12 rolled conservatively with Flatten taking advantage to really do some damage and putting in some time to those behind. As time checks came back to the chasers and the realization of the damage being done by Flatten off the front, the bridging moves began in earnest. Soon, it was Keck Baker and Jared Needers seen driving the pace to try and pull back flatten, as well as to splinter the group behind them. Exactly as predicted, the group is whittled down to seven, then five as the race hit the halfway point. Reported negative racing in the group had Neeters on edge as he attacked the group near the 30-mile point and had Baker joining him just three or four miles later, with the remnants of their former group just 30 seconds behind. The two former teammates combined their efforts to splinter the chase further behind as well as dedicate themselves to limiting the damages in front being done by David Flatten. With a long, loose surface descent into the final sprint, Baker held the advantage, racing on a mountain bike to Nieder's cyclocross bike. At the front of the race... David Flatten had time to enjoy his long solo win off the front for nearly 40 miles to roll in well up on the others to cross the line in 2 hours, 38 minutes, and 15 seconds. Behind Flatten, out of the final corner just 300 meters before the line, Neeters held the front despite a last surge by Baker to take second. Baker would finish on his wheel in the same time, over 6 minutes down to the winner Flatten. So your winner in your Pro Elite category of the Richmond-Virginia Monster Cross, David Flatten, 2 hours 38 minutes 15 seconds of the U.S. military cycling team. Second place, Jared Needers of Haymarket Bikes. And in third place, Keck Baker, with the same time, Blue Ridge Cyclery. In the women's race, it was a slow burn from the winner, Nicole Dorenzi of Pro Mountain Outfitters, who rode away from her competitors in the final half of the race to take the win in three hours, and seven minutes, with second place Danielle Grant just five minutes down and Libby Shelton three minutes further back for third. In other notable categories, Roger Massey of Rare Disease Cycling and the current NUE Masters Champion wins the single-speed mountain bike division again and actually tops all single-speed competitors on the day. So
1: Yeah, cover another one. The uh, 906 Polar Roll, second year of it, and it's a 35-mile race and it has a mix of single track and some snowmobile trail mix into it and uh, a couple of miles of a of a road or you know bike path conditions were complete opposite of what we had at frozen forty frozen forty was you know minus 9 or 10 at the start line and we hadn't had a lot of snow and so the course was pretty slick and icy and when the next weekend we're up in the upper peninsula michigan the up and it's like the packed portion of the trail. There's still like a couple foot of snow on it. However, temperatures were above freezing. And so it was all starting to soften up and, and turn spongy. In fact, they had signs out that recommended tire pressure three to four PSI. And I mean, I run like a, it's the stock tires that are on my bike. They're like 4.6 inches. And (laughs) I wish I had a wider tire. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, there was a lot of crashing going on, but anyway, just to kind of set the stage of like what the conditions were like, it was, you rode single track in uh Negaunee, eight miles of snowmobile trail to a two mile road that was, you could ice skated down it. And then the single track around the South Marquette trails, and then out on a bike path for a couple of miles to the finish line. It was, is, is, is pretty cool point to point race. But for the men's race, uh there were there was a lead that took off the front with uh Jordan Wakeley, Eric Thompson, Adam Bergman, and Travis Brown. Uh and those guys even had hike a bike sections of trail at the even up in the front. Uh so everybody had to hike their bike at some point. And when I say hike a bike, you'd step you to give you an idea of the flotation of these these tires, because you think, ah, how much do these things really float with, you know, everybody's grooming trails and that kind of thing? I, I kid you not. There was times I stepped off my pedals because my front tire would start to start to stick. I, my foot, I'd sink in snow up past my knee. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh and then there you there you were hiking your bike and a foot foot and a half of snow, uh pushing your bike for
0: half. A mile. So I I would imagine in situations like that, I mean it's a huge advantage to ride it as far as you can. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause walking in knee deep snow is certainly not fast.
1: Yeah. So. No, it was not fast. I, I swear. I probably like hike a bike at least a five K that day uh, okay. at, at minimum, but I mean, anyway, so, uh, yeah, these guys, these Jordan Wakely report that Eve they had hike a bikes up front, uh, Adam Berg Bergman, who was running studded tires, got away from the leaders on that two mile section of ice road. And when I say ice road, it was literally pure ice. When I rode it, uh, I was trying to like ride up the edges of the snow banks on the side of the road use them as berms and you'd like come down the hill and you'd be one foot down and sliding your whole bike sideways into the, off the side of the road. Anyway, Bergman had gotten away for about 40 minutes before the other leaves were able to reel him back in. Uh, it was four leaders that hit the soft slushy, sometimes icy bike pack, bike path that was about two miles left to the finish. Uh, and everybody kind of sat up waiting for somebody to attack and Adam Bergman Bergman finally attacked about a mile out, but uh, Jordan Wakeley was able to pull him back in and launched his own attack to the finish line with Jordan Wakeley of Keering Cycles taking the win in three hours, 15 minutes and 58 seconds. And Eric Thompson of Foundry Cycles crossing the line in second place, only a second, one second after Jordan Wakeley and Adam Bergman finishing third at three hours and 16 minutes and two seconds. It's Pretty tight yeah. racing up front,
0: yeah. That's that. I mean, again, um, it, it just amazes me that, um, in an endurance race, it's well over three hours that you're having bike races coming down to times of within a second,
1: yeah.
0: Um, yeah only because there's such a good. difference, there's such a difference in um, the equipment choices that yeah. I mean, it just those guys are either choosing very close equipment or. You know, their, their condition, conditioning and equipment choices are offsetting each other and they're still kind of working out to the same. But I mean, that's, that's just amazing that, um, something that it, where equipment can make a big difference you know, tire choice is so or whatever. Many different types of that it's still tires coming, and, right. Yeah. Still coming down within a second or two of each other. That's In this
1: race, tight like, racing, fatter the tire, the better with low pressure. I mean, I, I was running my tire were it was so low my the side knobs were just rolling on the pavement and the bike would walk all over on you. And right. I can't tell you how many times I was riding down the trail and my front tire would just sink a foot into the trail and I'd get catapulted over the handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. It was my legs were pretty bruised up from the frame banging yeah. off my my legs as I was headfirst in a snowbank. Yeah. Uh, for the women, April Morgan and Daniel Musso rode together from the start, and as Daniel Musso would say, rode and crashed together all the way to the start of the snowmobile trail about 11 miles in. April Morgan pulled away from Musso once on the snowmobile trail, and Daniel Musso would solo most of the snowmobile trail with April Morgan in her sight for the first half of it before she disappeared in the distance. Morgan stayed out in front of Musto through the final single track in Marquette and April Morgan of 45 North took the win in three hours and 59 minutes with Daniel Musto of 45 North finishing second in four hours and 12 minutes and Jill Martindale, also 45 North, finishing third in five hours and one minute. There was actually people out on the course for over nine hours. Really? Yeah. It was uh, basically every time every time somebody, the further you were back in the pack, um, every every time somebody had to get off and do a hike-a-bike, then this that section of trail got longer and longer that you had to hike.
0: Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It would just got yeah. tore up. I mean, I we were talking about this earlier, but I missed a turn and repeated like a one and a half mile section of the the trail in like the first start of the Marquette area, and just my yeah. second lap around it. Once I finally realized that I was on the same stinking trail, I was like, oh, this is more tore up now." <laughs> but. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool race. Um,
0: you're looking ahead to, uh, fat bike Berkey. as we mentioned previously, um, is that more of a groom trail course
1: fat bike Berkey is, uh, really, really wide, uh, cross country ski trail, I believe. Right. I thought I read something that's like minimum width of like, 25 feet or something like that right that's yeah that's what i
0: thought and it's more of like it's almost it's i mean it's a race course that's what it is and yeah um, so so you're not going to be dealing with those weird conditions you'll be dealing with very fast packed snow conditions i would
1: imagine should be pretty good we're gonna have it's we're getting above freezing during the day here but i've they're sending out updates and they're they're working on the course and trying to make sure it's packed so should be should be a good day
0: and now for something completely similar 24 hour worlds. I know many of our listeners are probably thinking, wait a minute, didn't we just talk about this? Seriously, didn't we just do this? And the answer is yes, we did. Just four and a half, four and a half, less than five months ago, we talked about the Wemble World Championships, 24 hour mountain bike championships held in Weaverville, California for 2015. For 2016, in this calendar year, those races are held in February in the Southern Hemisphere, in New Zealand, in the Rotorua region. And so, interestingly, all of those folks who had claimed world titles back in October were kind of going to have to be forced to defend those titles just four and a half months later, in mid-February. Now, races on hand included six-time winner... Jason English looking to set the record and finally surpass Chris Etoff for most 24-hour world titles with seven. Of course, Jason had won the 2015 race that we'd covered here on The Last Aid Station at what is normally the beginning of his season and likely had better fitness and form now coming into the peak of his season and the end of his season in the racing season there in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, he has won, since the world title, has won numerous long-distance events over the season um, with Weaverville, um, including his national championship just one week later or something like that, um, or less than one week later after his world championship win, um, several 24-hour events, some 12-hour events, um, and some marathon-distance-type events over the past four to five months. Now, other racers who had given... Jason, a tough time since then at some of the events down there, were on hand to have another go at him, and those included Tobias Lestrell, single speeders Stephen Day, and Ed McDonald. Now, one of the favorites this year to really give Jason English a run was Canadian and Kona factory rider Corey Wallace, who we had mentioned quite a bit due to his winning performance at the Pioneer Stage Race on just the last episode. Well, Mr. Wallace decided to stay in New Zealand for a couple more weeks and race the World 24-Hour Race again. Now, Previously, in Weaverville, he'd been on the hunt, trailing Jason English by a few minutes when he developed some severe vision problems and had, had to significantly reduce his speed in the final six hours. With the problems addressed with some eye surgery at the end of 2015 and quality training under his belt for 2016, including some time spent with Jason English in the week leading up to the race all systems seemed to be go for a run at the title. Now, Corey Wallace had finally related that he had some confidence in a great run at a full 24-hour race, having done several previously that all had some type of issues mid-race, and he was looking to put a full, complete race together. Other stories that developed, unfortunately, in the week leading into the race was to find out that Brett Bellchambers of Australia would be unable to defend his title as three-time defending single-speed champion due to an unfortunate incident while training versus a car. Though his injuries were not catastrophic, they were severe enough and in such close proximity to the date of the event to make participation impossible. Another issue in literally the days before the event was Sonia Looney, defending world 24-hour champion on the women's side, out with a small head injury and possible concussion sustained while training on trails near the course. On hand, the race all of a sudden had a new look for the women, with the biggest favorite being Liz Smith, the current Australian national 24-hour title holder, who was over to give it a go and honestly, I'm sure, was quite disappointed in not getting a chance to race against Sonia and New Zealand rider and 2014 solo champ Kim Hurst, who surprisingly was not participating in the race on home turf. The course itself was a relatively flat course compared to previous years with about 900 feet of climbing or so per 11 mile lap. With nearly half of that climbing on two single track climbs, that rose about 200 feet each or so on gradual sections and the remainder 500 feet or so from short little choppy climbs scattered along the course. With over 9 miles of the course single track, concentration in the wee hours of the race would be a factor, as would the start, with much less areas for passing available to riders than in past years. There was a start loop of sorts to help riders sort themselves out early, but that short section of gravel added may have only created a fast start that did little sorting, if any at all. In the women's elite race, through the first lap, a group of women had settled into a small front group, with Aaron Green leading Kate Penglase and Liz Smith separated by just seconds as they crossed the start-finish banner. That group would remain within a minute of each other through the opening hours. With Liz Smith, she would take advantage of a quick stop or no-stop pit at the beginning of lap three to move into the lead and put a few men's riders between herself and the chasers behind. From there, it was full steam ahead for Smith, who would put one to two minutes per lap into Kate Penglace, who was doing exactly the same thing to Aaron Green behind her through the halfway mark and into the early morning hours, a time when many riders begin their meltdown. And Aaron Green was out of the race, dropping from third to fourth to DNF at the end of lap 10, just 12 hours in. Nothing was stopping Liz Smith, though, at the front, who remained strong and had all the laps of her entire 24 hours within 10 minutes of the first lap time. Nina McViker was the story of the second half of the race, moving up from fourth after lap one to third at halfway and then passing Kate Penglace in the final two laps to secure the second step on the podium. Kate Penglace would hold on to third, but only just barely as a surging Andrea Peebles began to... Nearly negative split the second half of the race after a bad period in the early night hours had set her back as far as ninth. She would surge in the overnight hours, storming through the field as the hours approached 20 to pick up nearly one place per lap after dawn to finish in fourth. Liz Smith, world champion in 22 laps around 220 miles in just over 24 hours. In the single-speed event, Stephen Day and one hell of a battle with Ed McDonald and Garth Weinberg, with all three riders running in the top eight overall throughout the race. All three would finish on the same lap, with McDonald taking the win with a late-morning push that had his winning margin at just 15 minutes over Ed McDonald, with Garth Weinberg just another 15 minutes back, who elected to not take the last lap knowing his gap to second was unreachable in laps, that averaged under one hour, and his lead over the others behind was by laps and not minutes. Stephen Day takes a single-speed world championship win with 25 laps, 266 miles, in just over 24 hours and 20 minutes. In the men's elite race, fast pace pushed early by Corey Wallace, hoping to break up a large group in the opening lap, with Jason English and others biding their time in the back. With no technical terrain and no significant climbs, a large group of over 10 riders forged through the start-finish line on lap one with all the favorites comfortably tucked in. It wasn't long before early in the second lap, lots of pretenders of the crown as well as several unknown riders took off and gained time on the group at a pace Corey Wallace later would relate to as nearly mental. But by nightfall... All the structured and expected group had settled out, with Jason English joining Tobias Lestrell at the front in a fast-moving duo that quickly shelled the pretenders out front and began to concern a chase group that was riding about 15 minutes behind that included Corey Wallace, Irish rider Ryan Sherlock, and Ryan Retief. Overnight, Corey Wallace began putting down the fastest night laps by far on all other riders. He pushed through what had normally been a low point for him in the hours just before dawn, moving solidly into third and bringing the gaps down to English and Lestrell. Soon, English was riding alone with Lestrell, who suffered a significant crash that cost him time on the course and then time in the pits at the end of lap 14. Wallace would pass Lestrell in the pits and set off after English, now less than 10 minutes up. In a remarkable two-lap push, Wallace closed the gap to English, a gap of nearly 10 minutes, and the expected and predicted battle of the Wembo 24-hour Mountain Bike Solo Championships 2016 began. The duo rolled through in lap times just short of the times they'd been running 18 hours earlier. Wallace made a move early in on lap 20, climbing the fire road, climbing and pushing the pace that had English on the back foot. But recovery is the name of the game here, and the diesel engine of Jason English brought Wallace back by the end of the lap. During the closing laps, as expectations of a final sprint began crossing minds, English crossed the line with a huge gap of a minute to Wallace, who had crashed unexpectedly near the middle of the course, and Wallace had put down an effort to force the gap. The battle continued as Wallace remarkably closed the gap of a minute to in one lap and was soon back on English's wheel as they approached the pits again. English, in a slow-motion counter, upped the pace through the pits, and before you knew it, in the early morning sun, was gone, putting in an effort to put himself out in front of Wallace, who related later that he just didn't have the effort left after chasing the previous lap to come back to English. Luck would have it, timing was on English's side, as he extended his lead in the final lap and made the time cutoff just in time and had Wallace unfortunately not making the time cutoff, getting a chance to start out on a final lap and be the only one to start that lap. Jason English would become world champion again for seventh time, breaking the record and becoming the most dominant 24-hour mountain bike racer ever. Pivots Jason English, 27 laps over 290 miles in 23 hours, 55 minutes, with Kona factory rider Corey Wallace second just four minutes back. Team Giant Curves' Tobias Lestrell would finish with 26 laps to hold on to third after Adrian Latif also with 26 laps, but nearly 40 minutes back, Ryan Sherlock was fifth, completing your top five podium, completing 25 laps. Um, Jason English, once again, um, he, he knows, he knows, I mean, he honestly knows how to do these races. And I mean, you see every time you see him always hanging back and hanging back. He's never the guy at the front at the beginning of the race. He knows how to sit in. He knows how to pace himself. Even when it takes others, some
1: patience and some that oh takes my god, just that's just patience and some race maturity. I don't have that
0: kind of patience on you know just you know like a hundred miler. I mean, he'll sit in you know Jason English. I mean, at one point I think he was sitting like seventh, eighth, like in you know well into the race, you know four or five hours into the race, and he was just, he just biding his time. And you know as as was shown, you know in the later st- stages when he and Corey Wallace had finally moved off. To the front, um, to what was expect. Those two guys were kind of the favorites going into the race. They were pushing. They were putting down times that were almost exactly the same as the times they've been doing on lap two and three. On laps, you know, nineteen and twenty. It's crazy. Um, just crazy, crazy, crazy times. And um, Corey Wallace was, um, if you look at his times on the overnight hours, was putting down serious fast times. And that's how he was actually able to pull those guys back overnight because he was putting down. Uh, by far the fastest times faster by far, by more than two, three minutes um, than everybody else. So
1: I just can't imagine riding that many laps of the same course. Yeah. Uh, I I like point to point stuff and like, even like three or four laps of the same thing. I start to get a little, Yeah,
0: I mean, even though this uh, is a, I mean, this is a much bigger lap than, you know, most lap races are, at least around me, when they do lap course races, you know, like for six hour races or whatever, they're six mile courses. And so, you know, you're, you're running one every, you know, 35 minutes or so or 30 minutes. Um, these, this was 10 miles, but still, they still ended up having to do it 27 times. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Almost to the point of being dizzy, I would think. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyhow uh, that's uh that's your 24 hour world championships um they haven't announced where 2017 will be but they've they've got you know well over a year probably um they haven't even announced whether it's northern or southern hemisphere um if they've been doing it like they have been doing it um i would guess that 2017 will be in uh europe or africa next year south africa but um they haven't announced that yet
1: <laughs> all right uh 24 hours of old pueblo I've got a, a kind of just a scattering of all the different races that are out there. We'll, we'll touch on some of them. Some of them, I don't have a lot of details on and I don't want to kind of bore people with just finished results. So we'll just talk about some of the ones that, you know, there's a little bit more of a, a race there.
0: Yeah. I mean, this um, is, this is typically the, I mean, you honestly see it's a who's who, I mean, there's a big party atmosphere. I mean, I've heard it described as everything from, you know, rock concert feel to, a the, the mountain bikings Burning Man is like something that. What
1: do you, what do you see pictures? It's yeah, pretty close. I, yeah, I've uh, seen. I follow some of the pictures and stuff on Facebook from the event. It looks like a fun, uh, fun weekend.
0: Right, and of course this is put on by Epic Rides, who put together you know that the Whiskey Fifty Grand Junction, you know, that whole Carson City fifty uh, mile weekends and stuff like that. This is a little bit more on a little bit um, more casual kind of atmosphere. It's a, early in the season. It's too. early in the season and it's, yeah. it's, it, and it's way out in the desert and it's kind of gives people that whole, like, let's make a community. I mean, they call it 24 hour town for a reason. It, it truly built up a town out in the middle of nowhere um, for the uh, race. So.
1: So well, I'll start with, I'll talk about the, uh, the men's solo race to start with. It was a, it was actually a really tight race for the top three positions with uh, Nash, Dory, Shredded the first lap in less than an hour, held his lead for more than seven hours into the race. Uh, Dory started falling off his pace as uh, Nate Ginston would find his groove, groove and finish lap seven in a wheel-to-wheel lead over Dory. Dory continued to fall off his pace with Steven Zetik overtaking Dory on lap 12 in the early morning, about 16 hours into the race. Zetik was able to hold Dory off for the next couple of laps before Dory would rip out another fast lap and then hold off Zetik to the finish. Meanwhile, Nate Ginston held his pace through the night and picked up speed in the morning to hold off the chase. Nate Ginston finished 18 laps in 24 hours and 41 minutes for the men's solo victory with Nash Dory of Sun and Spokes coming in second with 18 laps in 24 hours and 42 minutes and Steven Zetik of M&M Cycling also finishing 18 laps only 8 minutes later in third that's pretty it's pretty fast for
0: 24 hour racing um when you consider yeah. when you consider that those guys um they've only had one team one four man team ever in the history of the event be able to run what they call the perfect race which is 24 hour 24 laps in 24 hours when you consider that the winning teams i think this year for all divisions were 22 23 laps, um, and you've got guys that are solo doing 75 80 percent of that.
1: that, yeah. Nash Dory's first lap was actually a sub hour,
0: yeah. That's that is that is really fast, well, especially when you consider that that also that that first lap includes a run segment, they have to yeah, run to their
1: bikes. I forgot about that, yeah. yeah. You're right, it does. They got so to like run the whole
0: Le Mans start thing, they run to their bikes, yep. get on them, um, and the commotion that that presents. And also when you're a solo racer, you're running and getting on your bike. Um, you're, you're probably not sprinting for your bike. Maybe you are, but I mean, if I was a, knowing that I saw 24 hours in front of me, the last thing I'm gonna do is sprint for my bike.
1: Um, yeah, I'd be <laughs> you know. tripping on the way. Yeah, to my just, bike.
0: I mean, I'll take my time, Gotta get over there. I mean, I'll jog over there, get my bike and get on it. But, um, pretty, I mean, that is really, really, really fast. Um, um I know that course is really fast. Um, a lot of people say it's a really fun course. Um, I've always wanted to go. It's just for me, it's super, 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 super early in the season.
1: Um, but I think it'd be a knows. really fun event to do with a team.
0: Yeah, I think. Oh, I I agree. And if and if you look across the the people that participate in it, it really reads as a who's who of endurance mountain biking. The thing is, though, is that most of those guys aren't doing it as um solo competitors. Um, I know Gordon Wadsworth was there, um, Daniel Rapp from the single speed division, um, Ernesto Marinchin was there, both of those guys competing in the duo category. Gordon was competing on Team Pivot in the four-man category. There's lots of guys that you'll see later on in the season competing in the 100-milers or the marathon distance or even 12-hour racing, um, competing at that event, uh, but not racing in the solo division. And that's so early to compete for a twenty four yeah. hour race. You really have to leave it live in a certain part of the country where you can train a lot of miles. That's not twenty four hour race training for twenty four hour racing on a trainer is I can't even <laughs> I can't not imagine you. so that's not it's not, not how you do that. that's just madness. <laughs> but um not to say that you can't do it because I am sure there are guys that do it. Um you know Yeah, right. Or fat bikes. I mean, I'm I'm not certainly J. Peter Eric could have done it, or some of those guys that compete in the, you know, the bike packing events, uh, the winter bike packing events certainly would have been in condition to do it. But um, other than that, I mean, you have to be, you have to be at a certain point to be able to uh, really race that hard and that fast for 24 hours. So uh, big hats off to those guys that did well.
1: Uh, The the female solo was dominated by Caitlin Boyle of Salson Cycles i mean right from the get-go she put a lead in on lap one and just stayed consistent just kept gaining time each lap uh she ended up finishing with 16 laps uh with a whole lap lap lead over second place yeah and on the men's single speed solo i just want to point out on this one hefe brown of griggs orthopedics actually finished 17 laps on a single speed and if you remember when we were just talking about the uh the men's solo the winner of that was 18 laps. So that was pretty awesome race in there. Yeah. I mean, half a comes from like the, not just
0: not the endurance, but the ultra endurance, you know, Tour Divide and, uh, Colorado trail race and things like that. And that entire Griggs orthopedic, even if I've lined up next to those guys before at races, um, Stuart, um, Neil Belchenko races for them yeah, um, yeah. that if you see somebody in one of those jerseys they the endurance is there. Um, it's always going to be super 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 fast and those guys have amazing talent on that team um, it, a very very talented team and certainly um, I wish those guys did a lot more on the national side they kind of stick to the west side the team sponsored out of I believe out of Colorado. Yeah, I think Um, so. But uh, they very very talented team. Almost every rider on there is man the endurance of a you know. I mean, I can't even imagine like the the amount of miles those guys likely put in. And they, I think, there's quite a
1: few of them out to this event.
0: Yes, and they race everything from you know the you know the traditional like uh, like the kind of like the uh, marathon distance 100K all the way up through tour de vie level uh, races, of course. Yel Belchenko um, has a podcast right here on Mountain Bike Radio with things like that. But um, you know, he finished third this year at the Tour Divide in that three-up almost sprint finish there at the end. Um, Stuart Gross um, competes very well, and he's going to be making a big push in the NUE. But uh, Heavy Branham is certainly almost a legend, if not a legend, um, on the bike packing and endurance scene. So, yeah, uh, that doesn't surprise me that he was that close
1: on a single speed at all. Going on to the women's single-speed solo, there was some. There was a race there. It was pretty much a battle uh, um, right from the get-go, and the, the lead would actually be owned by the top three women at some point during the race. Cassie Morlock grabbed the lead on the first lap but lost it to Kimmy Runner of troop racing on lap two. Beth Shainer laid down a clinic of consistency, taking the lead on lap three, and then held it for the next 11 hours. Twelve hours into the race, Kimmy Runner, who was holding her own in fourth place, had to stop riding as her previously sprained wrist injury was coming back to haunt her. Uh, She would return to racing hours later. Meanwhile, Veronica Party worked her way up the field and overtook Cassie Morlock about eight hours into the race. After 15 hours of racing, Beth Shainer found herself fighting blurry vision in the middle of the night, forcing her off the bike at the end of lap nine. Vronic Party had stayed consistent for the win of 13 laps in 24 hours and 31 minutes. Cassie Morlock of Ore Valley Bicycles finished second with 12 laps in 24 hours and 40 minutes. And Beth Shaner of Griggs Orthopedics headed back out on the trail after the sun rose and laid down some fast morning laps and actually pulling herself to a third place finish with 12 laps in 24 hours and 50 minutes, only 10 minutes off second place after having to uh get it off the bike for three or four hours. So let's talk about the
0: Pisgah 36. Um, this is from the diabolical, uh, maniacal mind of Eric Weber. We've talked about Eric on this show before. We've had him on the show before to talk about where he comes up with some of these races. Um, the PISGA 36 is actually the original race that really kind of set him apart from everybody else. Previously known as the race called, The most horrible thing ever.
1: (laughs) You mentioned that on the last. (laughs) Yes. So, what are you doing this weekend? The the most most horrible horrible thing
0: thing. ever. And when I tell you how this race is set up, um, it—it's everybody needs to go do an Eric Weber event at least once. And anybody that goes out and does those events will keep coming back for more. Now, there are traditionally two um, promoters in the Western. North Carolina region, the primary big guys, and that is Pisgah Productions, run by Eric Weber, and um, Blue Ridge Adventures, which is run by Todd Brown. Um, Eric continues to have the crazy diabolical mind. Um, has a lot of locals doing that race. Um, gets a lot of people into. Um, it's more of a raw Rudy thing. Um, Todd Brownum. Nothing, um, does more of the traditional type stuff, the Pisgah stage race, the um, off-road assault on Mount uh, Mitchell, more of the traditional kind of thing. Um, great events, but very separate uh, personalities on not only the promotion side, but each event has very separate um, when you compare them side to side. The Pisgah 36 was has been around for many, 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 many years. Originally it was raced actually as an unsanctioned kind of race, um, probably because of it was it it had to be um when you consider what the race is. It now is actually an official race and it takes a lot of its uh, um inventiveness, its character from the Barkley Marathons, if anyone knows what that is. And then the Barkley Marathons is a running, an ultra marathon running race, six stages run back to back, totally underground kind of thing. So here's the way the Pisgah uh, 36 is run or starts at midnight on a Friday night um, and runs through noon on a Sunday, (laughs) six stages run back to back back. Now, there aren't time limits on those stages necessarily, um, but you have to complete all six stages to finish. Otherwise, you're a DNF, no matter how many you've done. And if you don't complete all six stages, you're not a finisher, and so you can't you can't complete five stages and take a placing. You have to finish all six stages. Now, some of the stages are full courses, such as stage number one. It's a set course with requirements for riders to reach certain points um, in the the Pisgah Forest, and obviously there's a certain direction you have to go, and you have to take pictures with your cell phone or with a camera at different points on the course to preview ridden the whole course. Courses may be 60 miles or so in gnarly Pisgah terrain. Um Stage two, and every year this this course changes, but stage two is checkpoints um, where you have a maximum of 10, but you have to reach at least uh, two stage three is six checkpoints, but you have to reach a minimum of two. Stage four is a set course again, uh, but much longer, uh, expecting riders to take anywhere from eight and a half to 11 hours. Stage five is a lap course of eight miles. You complete as many laps as you can, but you have to complete at least one. And then stage six is more of the checkpoint thing. It
1: <laughs> sounds crazy. It is crazy. So it's run back. It and sounds back like it'd be back. hard to keep track of almost as
0: a well right and it doesn't and because it is i mean literally the riders are expect. it's called the pisgah 36 because it runs run over 36 hours and each one of those those stages are is supposed to average six hours and so literally you're you're going to be awake for 36 hours straight um and they set up some of the way the checkpoints and the courses run so that there is some safety stuff built in they're running checkpoint courses at night Uh, Or course stuff at night, so they know kind of the route you would go, uh, the checkpoint stuff during the day. Um, Very, very, very cool. A totally different way, run almost like a pseudo underground uh, ultra endurance race crossed with a truly with a adventure race kind of component to it. Because there are always racers on different parts of the course or in different stages, your only goal is that within those 36 hours you have to complete all six stages. Very very interesting way to do things. Um lots of um I guess there's lots of strategies that you could you could employ into this. Uh, but this year uh, Charlie Roberts takes the win, one of only three finishers. Uh wow. three people were able to finish all stages and actually there were only uh three people that were able to start stage 5. So going into stage five, there are still only going to be three. Um, In years past, there have been no finishers, and in years past, there have been a couple finishers. Uh, But this year, Charlie Roberts actually takes the win the only way he won it because he actually had more checkpoints than other people. So taking extra checkpoints in certain stages actually um, was able to gain him the win. Luther Papenfuss takes second, and Matt Sweeney takes third. Um, The winner took over 34 hours of riding – And 21 checkpoints with estimates of well over 180 miles of gnarly Pisgah terrain that includes plenty of hike a bike. I mean, those, the Pisgah terrain has hike a bike. There's no, there, it's very kind of hard to come up with a lot of terrain in Pisgah where you're not going to have at least some portions of off the bike hiking. And I'm not talking 100 yards, I'm talking kilometers. (laughs) Of uh, hiking. And so it's significant. And I talked to Eric for a long time about the race. It's it's very complex the way it's in there. Um, You really don't, this is one of the races though, that you, this one, the Pisgah 111, the 55.5, you really don't need to know Pisgah that well to do. Well, here because the, the courses are kind of laid out. Um, you get a map of where all those checkpoints are or a passport, so to speak. And you can figure that stuff out. Um, and it's built out over a long period of time. Um, but all three of those guys all finished within one hour of each other. However, Charlie Roberts was significantly uh, more adept at getting some extra checkpoints along the way, ended up with 21 checkpoints and, um, a little over 34 hours
1: of racing, everybody else. It's kind of like a yeah. gamble to get those checkpoints. To like correct. You s- spend yeah. more time and then yeah. – because if you spend too much time at it, then you maybe don't finish the last stages. Correct, stage and,
0: and Eric even admitted that several of the stages, they it was a fool's folly, um, especially stage number two. They gave them a list of 10 checkpoints. It would have been impossible for you to gain 10 checkpoints. There's no way. Okay. So these guys were <laughs> gaining, gaining – two or three checkpoints because they only got the minimum because knowing that they still had all kinds of racing in front of them. And as soon as you finish stage one with the minimum, you can start stage two. So it's run back to back to back to back. So if you want to finish stage one and then take a break, you can, but stage two is our, the time has already started for stage two. Gotcha. So. So it's very interesting way of doing things. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. It's kind of hard to do highlights on because everyone's doing different things. Um, but a very interesting, and I'm, I'm so glad that Eric Weber is involved in the sport. He's a big supporter of us. And I know sometimes I, I seem to talk about him a lot, but it's so interesting to have somebody having a different viewpoint on the way mountain biking racing can be because it's not your traditional point to point or lap course or there's, Different stuff, and it makes, makes it almost like there's a puzzle involved here because there's thinking and strategy and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's pretty other, interesting. Yeah, it's just, diff, just, just a
1: very Little different chess way. match on mountain bikes. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. So, uh, kind of cool. So, anyhow, uh, big props to uh, Charlie Roberts, Luther Papin, who got second, Matt Sweeney, who gets third um, in being the only people that were able to complete the course uh, this year. In the past, that race. Was originally designed to be unfinishable, similar to the Barclay Marathons. Um, but uh, this year we actually had three finishers, um, and that brings I think all of our highlights. You, you don't have any more highlights, right? No, I don't have any. More. Yeah, so that's uh, that's it for us. Um, what's going on with you in the very near future? We talked about you got you're heading out to do the Fat Bike Berkey.
1: Yeah, and Fat then, Bike Berkey. Uh, it's only a couple hours from my house. But then, yeah, when I get back from that, headed to Jump in for the car. Get, yeah. start
0: heading Southwest. Yeah.
1: It'll um, be a haul.
0: How about so, you? So, well, the one thing we were talking about um, earlier is we we're talking about maybe wanting, we're definitely going to be doing Mohican. We're going to try to get a
1: mountain, yeah, bike, I'll be, I'll be mountain sure. bike
0: radio get together, some type, some type of thing there, maybe a little competition, friendly competition among um, everybody and things like that and have a little get together and talk and chat and um, hang out after the race. And then we were also talking about maybe doing another one later on in the season and talked about maybe Shenandoah and things like that. So one of the things that may throw a monkey wrench into the, all of this, and it's something that I've registered in the past two years, I've registered and then bailed at the last minute. And this year I'm in again, and I'm going to announce it here because it kind of then forces me to have to do the event. <laughs> um, I like it. I'm an official entry into the Trans-North Georgia race. Um, nice. I've never done a bike packing event and this kind of falls in that it's a great entry event it could still definitely be fast um, it's all, it's a relatively short distance uh, somewhere 375, 350 somewhere in that range um, majority wow. of the first half is gravel the majority of the second half is very rocky rooty single track uh, but kind of cool because it's, it, it's something that can be done in Three days ish. I mean, I think the record's well, of, well below of two days, uh, but I'm being kind of realistic for myself, but it's kind of, it's, it's nice in that it's, it's, um, it's a nice introduction, I think. And so I am w- hoping to really, uh, finally pony. pony up and do the trans North Georgia. Now, uh, the one thing that throws a whole lot of things in there is that it falls like kind of in that, in the week just prior to Shenandoah. Um, and I've really wanted to do that race. I've never done it. I've covered it many times. always wanted to do Shenandoah. So, um, I still definitely, I think I want to do trans North Georgia this year and then Shenandoah in future years. Um, I don't think it's possible to do both. Uh, you're talking way too little recovery time. Um, and having talking to people who have raced trans North Georgia before, um, you're talking many weeks of recovery, um, but anyhow, I'm I'm super excited uh, to finally um, hopefully be – I'm kind of targeting Trans-North Georgia this year. I've cool, said I'm, I'm done. So kind of cool. Awesome. I'm Good kinda, for you. I'm kind of excited about about <laughs> that. But in the meantime, I've slowly – it's that time of year, and I'm sure you're exactly the same way, um, trying to beat those early entry fees for some of the races that are coming up.
1: Yeah. I, um, that same thing, right? Because they get – the yeah, they start to they get, get kind expensive. of pricey.
0: They do start to get yeah. kind
1: of pricey. So um,
0: you know, I definitely have
1: my stuff out for the year for the most part.
0: Yeah, I definitely have my my schedule out at least through uh, mid-June-ish. Um, uh, July will probably bring me to the Wilderness 101 definitely as, as a to-do race. Very
1: nice.
0: Um, and then um, August, kind of a little bit open. Um, if anybody has any races out there that they – know of uh, especially on the east coast uh early August. Um I'd lo- love to hear about them Tell me what you think. Tell me what you think I should be doing. What kind of races I should be doing. How about you? What what what's look what's your season looking like after well we know we're doing we know you will see you at Mohican.
1: Uh, yeah I'll be at Mohican between True Grit and Mohican, I had I had originally talked about maybe going to cohotter, but now that I'm gonna do true grit, I will probably hang local, do some maybe a small xc race maybe even a road race or two or something in the spring and then the Lutzen 99 are at june Um uh, the tataka 100 in july Matahe 100 in august and then i don't have anything between the Matahe and the margie gessick so i kind of i don't know i i kind of like adventure and mixing things up a little bit so i've, I've got a couple things on my list that i've Wanted to do, and I'm not sure why, involves some running and even a triathlon. If I can fit one of those in there somewhere, I would. But then, yeah, Shenandoah is kind of on the the list, too, if I don't get around to doing any running.
0: Yeah. I I mean, along the same lines, I mean, now that I'm kind of going to target Trans-North Georgia, maybe – you know, with the Mata Hay now offering a 150-mile distance now into mid-September, maybe. Yeah, there you uh, go. Um, uh, that looks like a challenge, and I, I'm i now to the point now where I, I just like these bucket list events. Um, I don't need to be you – know, I, I can race series and stuff like that, but I, I like the – I want to do something for the pure adventure of it, not only the adventure yeah. of racing that day, but the adventure of training for that. Yeah. Doing the research, you know, things, you know, Trans North Georgia, you know, what do you carry? What do you, you know, water and. Fluid and hydration and nutrition and, you know, sleeping if you're going to sleep and things like that. I mean, all of the research. I
1: I wouldn't know where to begin on that yet. I I know, but it's, it,
0: that, that's just the thing is like, I I mean, I've read up on it. I know what some people use, but that may not be what's right for me. Um, Yeah. So, you know, you just, it, it's just kind of fun. And you you know, you practice doing that stuff.
1: Kind of bike Um, you race on it. Um, for Trans North Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean,
0: Probably your, I mean, the best bike for the first half is probably a, 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 definitely a hard tail because it's, it's just a lot of gravel and lots of steep climbs and long climbs. Okay. The second half is, um, on this, on the Pinotti or, and the Pinotti has some rigorous sections. The section where the, the snake time trial is, is just rocky and rooty and nasty and oh, wow. rocky ridgeline trails that full suspension is, by far your best bet. I would say probably your best bet would be a, I mean, if you're trying to do it fast would probably be a XC full suspension bike, probably something a little bit light, but definitely has a full suspension for the second half. So Hmm. that would be my guess, Uh, but I've never raced it. And I, I don't know. I mean, I know lots of guys that have raced that done that event on, you know, fully rigid. So who Hmm. knows?
1: You'll find out. I'll find
0: out. (laughs) Nice. All right. So, everybody, thank you very much for joining us on The Last Aid Station again. Um, As we start really working into the season, we had covered uh, five or six races today, and we're going to continue to really start building with the NUE starting here in the next two weeks. Um, I will be bringing you a special episode of The Last Aid Station um, covering the Cape Epic, the Abso-Cape Epic Stage Race, in the next uh, week and a half or so um, as Steve journeys southwest um, to race the first NUE race um, and bring us some on-site reviews of the course and reporting and things like that. Um, and we'll be back to you together um, sometime toward the end of this month. But thank you very much for joining us again. Get in touch with us, Mark at mountainbikeradio.com or Steve at mountainbikeradio.com. Tell us what you think, and we hope to see you at our race real soon. Thanks for joining.